want to screw up that hair. Yeah. Dave, Dave has been making fun of my hair. First thing he said to me is like, so you're going to keep that hair? Really? Yeah, I mean, like, this is one of the rare times that my hair, you know, I'm not currently shooting anything, so mm -hmm. this is one of the rare times. This is my hair. I, my hair belongs to me. No director, no, you know, head of the hair department is, de is deciding how I look. So this is all me. And this the first thing my best friend in the world <laughs> says to me is, you're going to keep your hair like that? So Dougie clearly does not approve. My mom and my dad said the same thing. So clearly it's, you know, I don't have good taste. Genuine John right here. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. All right, that's fair. This is my choice. Yeah. Hey, man, you've called your own shots your whole life. That's I it, respect dude. it. That's I respect it. it. That's it. However, your hair is great, Dougie. Thank you, buddy. Although I like it when it's all the way shaved. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a little bit better. You think so? Mm -hmm. I do. I do. Well, um, Michael, maybe for the next episode, we shave Doug's hair. That's maybe good. That's a great episode. Get to some listeners. Or maybe, John, you can do it. Yeah. Shave, come back. I shave your time, hair? Come back in town, you can shave my hair. I Remember, <laughs> I did that for uh, football. We, we shaved our heads for uh, football. Our yeah, undefeated oh, yeah. season. Junior undefeated, year. legendary season. The only undefeated season in the history Started off right. So, yeah. yeah, man, that's us, dude. Yeah. Junior us. year, 1993. Huh. Three. 93. 93. The glory days. We beat them all. What positions did you all play? Dougie was our quarterback, and oh. I was... And I played receiver. Yep. Uh, so I basically made. I, I mean, you, you made I, a lot of good. people say that the reason why Dougie <laughs> played college football and the reason why he was as successful. I mean, Dougie went to an Ivy League school. He was a great college football player, mm -hmm. and a lot of people would say. Whereas there are certain people who were. I was probably the most underrated football player in the history of D.C. <laughs> high school football. And I, 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 I would like to say... He's one I, of those unsung heroes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I helped. I, I, I was a huge component in Dougie getting into college because yeah. of how yeah. good a receiver I was. Yeah. So no, obviously, was I, I, as folks probably can tell, I called an audible for this episode. Uh, I'm running for president. Yes. <laughs> Independent party. Uh, just my, my buddy, John Bernthal, is in town. Uh, his family's in town for the holidays. And uh, he's wanted to come on the electables for, for weeks now, right? <laughs> weeks. And uh, unfortunately, my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, is uh, unable to be on this episode. She's up in New York. Uh, we've got uh, my producer, Michael Peliquin, on the mic, too. They gave me a little... Uh Tap the right arm I'm coming in from the yep, bullpen. He's coming in. Yeah. And then uh, staring across from me is uh, my my best friend, John Bernthal, who's also the star of the uh, number one film in the country, or maybe the number one live action film. We haven't figured this out yet. Ford and Ferrari. He was also the Punisher. Um, he was in Walking Dead. He's been in a whole bunch of things. Uh, the Accountant, which is one of my, I think, one of the more underrated movies out there. I don't know hmm. what you think about it. Hmm. Uh uh, Wolf in uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Night at the Museum, <laughs> <laughs> the class. Remember the class? <laughs> Dude, Dougie. The class. Dougie was on that. Dougie made his uh, on-screen debut. Dougie yeah, was oh, an really? extra. I was in the extra. bar. The yeah. bar. The, yeah. the class goes to the bar. The that was the name of it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Fury. Yep. Fury. So actually, if you look at John's resume in terms of the people, the roles he's been in. Um, you know, in the in the actors he's been able to work alongside, it's pretty impressive. He's been directed by Frank Darabont for um, The Walking Dead, uh, Martin Scorsese. He's worked alongside Christian Bale, Leonardo DiCaprio, Dwayne Johnson, and Snitch, which is also, I think, a little underrated film. Um, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon. Um, it's pretty impressive. But you're one of the best, you know, in my estimation, one of the best, if not the best actors in Hollywood and the ability to... Uh, Basically, take on your your on screen persona in a way that you know 
you become that character. And I think the interesting thing about Ford and Ferrari, Ford versus Ferrari, is Ferrari is that you're playing a historical figure, which I don't know you've, if you've done in the past. But so you have, I mean, there's there's obviously historical documentation sure. on Lee Iacocca. There's videos. He, we remember him from kids. He was sure. in all those commercials. The he was book. like an eighty. Yeah, he was sure. an eighties fixture. Sure. How different is playing someone like that mm-hmm. versus playing a Shane in The Walking Dead or The Punisher or a character that is fictional? Uh, well, thanks, Dougie, for that, that, that introduction. And, you disagree? Uh, no, 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 man. I, I, I think that's uh, super kind of you. All those uh, probably the nicest well, Dougie's ever been. Ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My whole life, you know, he's at his foot on my neck. Uh, but I, 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 I could, made you a better person. That's right. No, it's true. It's true. It's definitely true. And uh, yeah, Dougie, Dougie is my best friend, and uh, I'm enormously proud of beer, and enormously proud of. Uh, all that Dougie's accomplished and, and uh, all right, yeah, okay. all that. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, sh- I mean, shit, man. I, I, I think, you know, for, for Lee Iacocca, look, I, I think the great thing, <clears throat> you know, everybody's work is different, man. And I, I think for me, each each job sort of presents its own challenge. Uh, it's, you know, what I love about what I do is that, you know, you can never – you're never arriving any place. There's no sort of way of perfecting it. You're always growing. You're always getting better. Uh, each each job has its own challenge and its own sort of unique of, of uh, set of circumstances. And I think with with, with Lee Iacocca, I think what was really interesting is yes, there is a wealth of information out there on him. He is a fixture, um, especially for people kind of our age and, and and older. But literally all of the information that's out there and all the footage of him is. When he was this huge, you know, titan of industry, and he was at the top of his game, and it was unbelievable what that guy achieved. And when you think about, you know, when you think about, you know, Trump and being this like businessman who became president, like Iacocca could have done that. And he was actually like a great businessman. He wasn't, you know, like a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. He was like a great, you know, businessman. And and uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for me, what was interesting about that. Uh, uh, about going to play him was, you know, the job then becomes, you know, digesting all this information. I read his book um, and, uh, you know, looking at all the footage and a lot of it is is sort of, you know, advertisements and speeches he made. But then you've got to sort of strip off the veneer of success. You know, what would this guy look like at you know, a place in his life where he was full of ambition, full of hope, full of worry. Um, he was a son of immigrants in a very blue blood company. He was very much an outsider. And that was his strength. And and I think that's a very American story. I think there's something very American about being an outsider, having an idea, you know, uh, going with it. And, you know, a lot of the information that you get about the guys, the guy really cared about family. He really cared about loyalty. He really cared about his reputation. He really cared about ethics. And um, these are all kind of themes of that film. And um, he really, uh, you know, I went to Jim Mangold, who's the director of the movies, you know, I think one of the best directors we have, you know, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, uh, Logan, uh, Copland. I mean, he's a great, great director. And I went to him and I said, you know, look, I really see a lot of my my father in this in this this part, you know, um, you know, as you know, Dougie, like my dad, you know, is a uh, real blue collar guy, blue collar upbringing, uh, it Syracuse. comes from sort of Syracuse, New York, and, uh, you know, entered into sort of this world here in DC, um, where most people sort of in his position made their bones kind of like in corporate law and representing corporations. But my dad kind of, you know, he, he made friends when he was young, represented sort of young businessmen and stayed with them and stuck by them through thick and thin and really made a career out of that. And he was very much an outsider, very much, you know, he hate, you know, self-proclaimed, 
he hates there's nothing my dad hates more in the world than a lawyer and he was one uh you know and and self-loathing self-loathing man and and so i i think that like i saw a lot of my dad in him and uh it was a really fascinating fascinating kind of journey to to go on with that character one of the so john's dad is a um basically helped to raise me as well when i was younger uh he also taught um both of us had to play the sport of basketball and basketball, uh, just to go off a little bit subject, but basketball is a sport that is deeply important to you and your family. Your nickname is doc after, um, Dr. J. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, we played it growing up. You still play your parent, your dad still plays every Thursday. You play, you have a game out in LA. How important is that sport? And what, what has it, you know, I know there's a lot, been a lot of coverage of you as a boxer and a fighter, Mm -hmm. but like, Basketball really is sort of what has uh, has been the underpinning of your both your family, your brothers, but you as a person in that sort of that Tam oriented environment. Talk to me about that sport. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's right, Dave. I mean, yeah, like you know, I mean, my my old man was, you know, every you know, if you grew up in this kind of area, you know, in that our school specifically, you know, I had there's there's three of us, you know, if. I have two blood brothers, you know, and, and, uh, you know, all the way from what third grade, all the way through eighth grade, you know, any, all the boys that grew up in that time, you know, my dad coached them in, in basketball. My dad often says he can get a guy on the basketball court and within two minutes, he knows everything about the guy. You, you just, every, all character is revealed. Are you the kind of guy who shoots all the time? Do you call bullshit fouls? Do you set picks? Do you rebound? Are you hardworking? Are you honest? Uh, you, you know, are you in it for you? Or are you in it for the team? And I think you could honestly say that about, about all sports, but yep. I think basketball is incredibly sort of revealing in that way. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, the only one in my family, you know, my dad played, uh, played briefly in college. My little brother played for Princeton. Um, I never played, you know, none of us, you, you know, play, we, we, you know, Dougie, Dougie and I played football and, uh, I played baseball in college and, uh, you, you know, although I'd never really played it or, you know, in an organized way, it's, it's always been a huge component of my life and, um, ties me in to sort of my father and my brother. And it's been a thing. Look, we, I, there's three boys and with my dad, it's a perfect game of two on two. And some of those games as Dougie can attest to are absolutely (laughs) down. I mean, just violent and, you know, real hatred comes out on the court. I mean, literally the ugliest parts of you kind of, it's a, it's a way for all that to come out. I've always said, look, I'm, I'm a fighter. I've, I've always said, yeah, I love playing on the street. I play real rough. One of the worst things about sort of becoming <clears throat> you know, somewhat, you know, known is now I walk onto a basketball court in a different city and people know who I am. And I used to love sort of walking on and kind of having a, you know, fight for my respect. And, uh, so if I, if I come onto your court, you know, please, you know, treat me like anyone else, you know, throw your elbows, see what happens, you know, but <laughs> yep. I, I think it's a, I think it's a great, I think it's a great game. And I think it's, it's really just, it's, it's, it's deep in our DNA. I mean, I played, you know, I got into town, you know, my my house, you know, my, my parents uh, ended up becoming foster parents and they took a lot of kids in. But, you know, honestly, they were sort of like that for all of us growing up. I mean, my house was the place you could walk in and whatever shape you were in, you had a hot meal and a bed in that house. I mean, literally, yep. if you were in trouble with the police, if you were inebriated, if you were running from someone, the, that door was always open. And, and It actually my, always was open. It was never locked. Never locked. We never. It, we got robbed. I mean, our, our house got robbed seven times when I was growing up, and we never locked our doors. And my dad yep. just sort of believed that, like, hey, look, if you really 
want something so bad. I remember they once stole this grandfather clock that we had. And my dad's like, look, if somebody really wants that clock so bad that they need to walk into our house and t- like let them walk in. I mean, I remember one time I was asleep uh, with one of the dogs in that bed in my kitchen, and a guy came right into into the room, stole my mom's purse off of the counter. But like, we never locked our do- our doors. But it's a it's a huge kind of it's a huge kind of component of of our upbringings. And the one rule my dad had us growing up in our teens and our twenties, even our thirties. I mean, Dougie and I could have been out at the bars literally into six a.m. But at 7.30, if you slept in that house, he was waking you up, and 8 a.m. Sundays, <laughs> every morning, ball. my dad has a basketball game that's been going on. It's, been, it's a D.C. institution. It's been, it's been going on That'll since That'll cure a hangover Yeah, quicker. you don't have a choice. Like, if you're sleeping in that house, you're waking up and you're playing basketball in the morning, period. So the, um, you know, whether it's basketball, the football, football, playing football when we were younger, um, you know, those, in, those conversations that we would have around the Thanksgiving table with you, me, Gareth, Greg, my dad, your dad, you know, which would get into like real intense arguments because, you know, both my dad and and John's dad are, you know, accomplished lawyers, very smart. Um, but they will, they will, the last thing they ever want is to lose an argument. And it doesn't matter if it's their little kid. They will, they will figure out a way to always out argue, even if they know they're wrong. The words you're right, right just never, do not exist. Ne- they will yeah, never yeah, say yeah, yeah, yeah. that. So the competitive, so there's a, you know, that sort of comp, that competitive environment that you grew up in. You go into acting and you took a sort of different road to mm-hmm. acting than other folks. You didn't act, I, I should say that. John acted when he was really young and then <clears throat> stopped and then started acting in high school. And then there was a, an actor, oh, yeah. there, was a, yeah. there was a teacher at our school who yeah. actually, uh, you know, insulted John's acting abilities at that yeah. point. And then That's he right. didn't act after yeah. that. That's right. And um, God, until, you right. Got to, until you got to Skidmore. Yeah. And, um, and then from there, you know, you were, you were on your way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you started late, I mean, really mm-hmm. in terms of getting that sort of technical sure. training. Um, but that competition, I mean, mm-hmm. because you go in every, I mean, now you don't always audition. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get these roles. But like in the beginning, you mm-hmm. audition for roles, sure. right? Sure. And what about that competition for those roles? And also, how did you manage your psyche mm-hmm. knowing that, you know what, like, mo- chances are you're not going to get this part, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And how did you deal with that rejection when mm-hmm. it came? I mean, look, man, that's a good, uh, interesting question, man, and that, there's a lot in there. I mean, I, I think, look, I think, number one, uh, you, you know, I mean, I, the, the best thing and the worst, the, the best thing and the worst thing about a profession or about a relationship or about whatever are, are, are usually closely linked. And I, I, I think for acting, you never know what is going to come next and you could be on top of the world and then it absolutely could all crumble the next day. And you can either decide to let that fill you with fear, totally envelop you with doubt and, 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 uh, dread, or you can let it inspire you and you can let it uh, lift you and excite you. And the fact that you don't know what's coming tomorrow is something you can absolutely embrace and, 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 and make, it, make it work for you. And I think at the beginning of your career, look, man, the thing about acting is 
you know, if if I went and I studied and I got a MFA and studied all over the world and done 30 plays and I show up in L.A., there could be some guy who gets off the bus and you just know, looks a certain he won way. his local modeling or didn't, you know, right. compete, you know, just some guy whose mom told him he was good looking. And then we showed up in L.A. He is every bit as much of an actor as I am. And he might get parts over me. It's like it's right. totally possible. There's no kind of is that randomness. Reason. That's well, got to get well, so like, I think it is, but I think for me, it, it you know, you got to make sure, you know, you're really doing it for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, man, it might, it might sound like, you know, like a fucking cheese ball, but like, you know, for me, you know, I, I when I do it, I love it. It's what yeah. I love to do. And there is a way when I'm operating on all cylinders and I'm in a scene with somebody else and I know, or I'm on stage or I'm in a rehearsal hall, or even if I'm alone in my kitchen and I'm like doing it, there is something that I tap into that I love. And yep. I'm after that. And I'm trying to get to that point in everything that I do. But the, the, the competition of it, you know, is, is also, you know, when you're starting out, you know, look, man, what I have a giant nose and huge flappy ears, you know? So when I started out, you know, going into these auditions, you know, I wasn't auditioning for Oliver Stone and Roman Polanski. I was auditioning to be on Young and the Restless and to be on whatever CW show was kind of casting at the time. And I would walk into the room and you can feel how hideous you are. I mean, you're in a, you're in a waiting room of all these like beautiful, you, you, you know, men, right. you know what I mean? Who are like, you're like, God, look at that guy. You know what I mean? And you're like, I don't belong. And you'd walk in the room. And these <laughs> casting directors would literally look at you. I mean, as if you were just some hideous creature, you know, like just disgust. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing here? Like, not even look up from your phone. And, and, and I think that, you know, slowly but surely, you got to find your way. And, and it's really athletic. When, you know, I really looked at it like athletics. You really got to look at it as like, how can I, what is success? How can I be successful today? Find your wins. Find your things that sort of, you know, to me, to audition, especially in the beginning of your career, yeah, man, like just the numbers of it, like you're probably not going to get the part. But if you can go in and make something, what I call just tearing down that room, if you can go in and and do something special that day and then get invited back, yeah. that's a huge win. And if you sit there and be completely product-oriented instead of process-oriented and say, yeah, I didn't get the part, I'm going to let that down, you kind of lost, man. And 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 I just think that, like... you got to have to have thick skin, right? Well, you 100% have to thick, have thick skin. You also just have to change your mindset and, and get over the fact that, like, you're probably... It, it's not about scoring the role. It's about, hey, you get a chance to be an artist today. And I shifted it to the point, you know, I don't get to audition anymore, and I really miss auditioning. And the reason why is, look, man, when I step onto a set and I play a part... I have everybody from a director, a writer, other cast members, producers, network executives, costumes, makeup. It's the most collaborative thing in the world, and I love collaborating with people. But all those people play a huge influence in what I'm doing and what I'm allowed to do and what I'm supposed to do. And they, they all push and prod, and they all try to put their – and it's great when it works, but it's also incredibly frustrating when people are getting in your way. An audition is 100% yours. It's yours. You walk in, and it's your interpretation. No one is telling you how to do it you get to do your presentation of what you're doing and that's awesome yep. and the opera you got to look at that as like an unbelievable opportunity and if you get bogged down and like oh shit am i going to get the part or am i not going to get the part you're missing the fact that you have this wonderful opportunity to be an artist that day and you know i i'll, I'll, I'll take that you know like that's that's that that's what i want you know you brought up auditioning and mm -hmm. i i have to bring this piece up i don't know if you've talked about it in the past but you audition a lot 
you've I've auditioned, I've read lines with you, but you but your mom mm-hmm. has played a big role in in that. I mean, Joan, who mm-hmm. is probably the sweetest person in the world. <laughs> um, but you, I mean, in the beginning, I don't I don't know if you still do it, but like you you read lines with her. Hundred percent, still How, do. I, I mean. Talk to me about that. Well, look, I mean, my mom, I mean, I think it's even bigger than that. I mean, as you know, my mom is. Well, yeah, uh, she's that. You you know, she's, you know, she is just, for me, you know, the definition of love and support. And And she was the one who's really cultivated this side of you. 100%. I think, I mean, look, it's no, I've said it before. I, I, you know, look, man, both my mom and your mom, uh, you know, I was, I got into a lot of trouble growing up and I was, I mean, not alone, you know, trouble with the law that I've talked about before, but also, I mean, just in our school, I, every single year I was on the precipice of getting kicked out of that school. And it was really your mom that saved me. And, uh, even when I, Got in other kinds of trouble. Your mom, you know, helped me. Was always offering outlets for community service, and you know, your mom was, you know, enormously. She saved the Kingsbury me many Center. Times. Yes, she saved me many times. I spent a lot of time. I've done a lot of community service at the Kingsbury Center. <laughs> yeah, uh, state imposed, you know, community service. But you know, the thing with my mom is, you know, my mom was an actor in in college, and it was not something that she stuck with. And she saw something really early at me when I was, you know. You know, as a young age, oh, this kid's a class clown. He's a behavior problem. And my mom saw that, like, I was, I really had something to express. And she was always sort of pushing me in this really healthy way of saying, hey, this would be really fun. You should try, not like, hey, this will get you out of trouble or this will, you you know, you could be good at this. You could maybe have a career out of this. But I think you would really enjoy this. I see this in you. And having an adult believe in you. And I, I, I think when you think about the way that my mom, you know, she's taken in, you, you know, I don't know how many foster kids over the years, but, you know, she's taken in kids that have been, you know, physically, sexually, mentally abused, uh, kids whose parents were incarcerated. Uh, you know, she's taken in kids from all walks of life, all ages, sometimes for more than a year at a time. She's stayed in these kids' lives. And, you know, look, I, I honestly think when you think about the amount of trouble that I must have been growing up, I think a lot of parents would have probably given up. A lot of parents would have probably said, hey, listen, I got two good ones. This one's a lemon. Let's let this shit bag just rot, you know? And, right. and, uh, and I do really credit my parents, but especially my mom with with acting. She she always believed in me, and she always, you, you know, when you have an adult that believes in you, you, you know, especially a parent who really believes you and really believes that there's something good inside you, even if all evidence is sort of pointing somewhere else. It's you know, I know as a child, I get into you know, as a as a parent now, you know, it's 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 unbelievably important. It's unbelievably powerful, and I think both. Because of that and the unbelievable friendship that I had with you and with Dougie, I mean, and, and uh, Greg. And Whatever his name everyone's is. Everyone's been doing that their whole lives. They're like the same guy. But Zumas and Gareth, you know, I, it's like, look, I don't think that many people can say we're, we're old men now. And our best friends now are our best friends from first grade. It's never not changed. Dougie's roommate was our other best friend, Greg. We've, they've lived together. We've, we spend literally every vacation we possibly can together. We are enormously tied to each other. They're my best friends in the world. That 
that will never change. Not a lot of people have that. I'm still enormously close with my parents. And, uh, you know, this base, uh, there was never a question about the base and like this city and the people here. Uh, it's it's unchanged. It never will change. And I think it's been, you know, unbelievable. And so when you think about, you know, going out and the rejection and, and yeah, you know, the fact that I can still to this day, you know, now it's a little different. I don't audition, but as soon as I get a script, when they say, you know, people send me scripts all the time, say, hey, you want to be in this movie or this show, or whatever. The first thing I do is I send it to my mom. I have yeah. her read it and, and, and I get her opinion on it, you know, and, uh, She's uh, she's unbelievably intuitive, uh, and um, she gets it, and she 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 really enjoys it, and and I I love that process with her. I mean, I can you know it's great to be able to say I can always you know to know that I can always count on my mom, you know, yeah. and, and I definitely can. That aspect of your mom, b- both your mom and dad bringing in foster kids, that's something they've been doing for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, one thing that some you know that y- you have done, you and your uh, lovely wife and talented wife Aaron have done mm-hmm. is like adopt uh, pit bulls mm-hmm. and other and bring in foster cats. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You've been a, a you know an advocate for the Humane Society of the America for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Your dad used to be the chair of the board. Mm-hmm. Dogs have been an important part of our <laughs> lives mm-hmm. for a, a long time. Um, and then you know you particularly now pit bulls and re- rescuing them. And mm-hmm. one, one of the things that we've had on our show over, t- over the, um, over the last year is, is particular people who are, um, you know, who, who, who pick up a passion of theirs and figure out a way to advocate for it publicly. We've had people who talk about it in tr- terms of nutrition, in terms of gun violence, in terms of women's rights. And so Dogs are, I mean, animals are deeply important to me. Mm-hmm. Dogs, I have two dogs. Uh, you've got two dogs. You've, we've always had dogs. Talk to me about, like, how you decided, like, that was going to be, you do other, obviously, other things. But that is at your heart, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of the type of the type of advocacy that you do. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think you said it. I mean, look, we've had dogs our whole life. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, when I was first, do you see yourself as a pit bull, like misunderstood? Well, I th- I, yeah, I mean, I think that that's part of it, man. You know, because when I was first starting out my acting career, especially out in Los Angeles, you know, rescued a couple pit bulls, and I got to be sort of known around Venice as a guy that if there was sort of like a stray pit bull or if there was somebody who couldn't handle their pit bull or if there was kind of like a wild or dangerous pit bull, you'd bring it over to my house, and I would bring these dogs in, and I... I, it's funny because there's a lot of sort of like pit bull advocates that don't respect the breed. And, I, and I'm not one of these people who thinks that everybody should have a pit bull or a Rottweiler. Like, I think you should, you know, I, th- I, I think there's a certain responsibility that comes in with having those kinds of dogs. And I really believe in training them. And I really believe that a trained dog fosters uh, a, a really, a much closer relationship. And I think humans put way too much of their own sort of like shit on, on, on dogs. And they think that, you, you know, why would you discipline your dogs? Well, it's, you know, so your dog's safe and you're safe. And if you if you tell your dog to sit and they don't sit, how is that any different if they're right next to a highway and you ask them to sit and they didn't? Right. You know, it's like if you love your dog, train your dog. And and uh, I, I really took that enormously seriously. And I just sort of when I had much more time on my hands, when my my, my acting career was, uh, you know, not not sort of you know didn't didn't keep me as busy it does now. That was a huge part of my life, just bringing dogs and um, you really me and my dog boss going around and training these dogs and finding homes for them. And you know as I became 
uh, more busy. And as I sort of had a kind of platform to actually do something about it, you know, it was a perfect funnel with my old man because, you, you know, he is, he, he sort of dedicated his life, to, his life to animals and to, um, you, you know, uh, animal charities and, and, and especially with, with dogs. Um, so I got to kind of be a voice for it and, and, and do whatever I could. But I, I just, um, it's just something that, that just really struck a chord with me, you, you, you know, and, and I, I just, I, I really, you know, there's, there's many cities around the world that they will, they, they just outlaw pit bulls and they'll say that, you know, it could be your family dog and they'll say, you can't live in this apartment building anymore. Uh, you know, Toronto had one of those, they just lifted the ban, uh, where they say that, you know, they'll take your family dog. They'll say, you cannot live here with your family dog. The dog's never done a thing. It just happens to be a certain kind of breed of dog. And look, I, I as, as a, it's it, it's just a, an issue that's really near and dear to me, and uh, it's it's incredible to me. It's incredible to me, you know. Like, look, man, a lot of airlines won't let you fly with a pit bull. They'll let you fly with any other dog, mm-hmm. you know. And there's no data out there that says that a pit bull is more likely to bite you than any other kind of dog. And you know, I think that I just think it's bullshit. Total bullshit. Yeah. Um, what's it like to be back in D.C.? You grew up. Uh, we both lived in Maryland, but grew up in D.C. Mm-hmm. Went to school in D.C. Mm-hmm. Have lived in D.C. for um, well, you've lived in now L.A. and New York since college. But mm-hmm. what's it like to this this city? You know, it's just a lot different than yeah. it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. It's it, look. It's nothing like the D.C. that you know we grew up in. Um, and I, look, I think that's also part of another realization that we are getting old, man. You know what I mean? We are just getting old. You know, it's like we were talking about it before. I played basketball, you know, yesterday and it's like my, you know, my body hurts, you know? Yeah, I know. But the world is changing and look, I, I, um, I loved growing up here. I loved it and I think that there's a unique, there's a unique set of qualities to the, the folks I know that grew up here, that like really grew up here and around the city uh, just in terms of sort of being, there's a toughness about growing up here. There's a directness, there's an honesty, there's, uh, an exposure to diversity. Unlike people I know who grew up in any other city. Um, it's not a very, it was not a very showy city. Like people didn't really, you know, it's, you, you, you know, there's a lot of cities that I think people have like real big mouths in and, and it, DC wasn't really that, that way. Uh, look, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm taking my kids back here, and I'm, I'm a little sad, you know, sometimes when I, when I see so much of the, the flavor and the, the, you know, what made this city so unique is not here. That being said, you know, when we came in from the airport, I turned on PGC, and all they were playing was Go Go, and like, it may, you know, I was just blasting it on the, on, you know, and and like the overnight scenario, it's like it's still the see, you know, I was like, okay, here we go, you yeah. know, but. Uh, you, you know, there's clearly, there's clearly got to be two sides to it. I'm just like, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, what, what do you think about that? About gentrification and. Well, look, I think that there is, you know, I first place I lived in DC when uh, after school was on 12th and S Street with, yeah. with Gareth and uh, with our buddies Gareth and Greg. Lived there for two two and a half years, and the block was like sort of, uh, you know, was at this time. This was 2001, and they're just. You know, that was an area of the town that, you know, people were just sort of moving to. We had moved, we were renting and it was a, you know, we had, we happened to be on a block with like some younger folks and some older professionals and across the street from the school. But the surrounding area 
was still a little rough, and um, but it became. But it. But one of the things that I appreciated then, and I still appreciate about the about DC, and I think to th- what it doesn't get enough credit for, because you get a lot of people who move here and are like, well, DC's not a real city, or they're not a real sports town, or whatever. And what they miss is the soul of this city, right? The fact that there are people who've been here for generations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are things that are unique to this sure. to this city that not other cities have. You know, whether you're talking about um, you know, whether you're talking about go-go music, if you're talking about the passion for the Redskins football team, even though they suck now, um, whether you're talking about, you know, institutions like the Howard Theater mm-hmm. or Ben's Chili Bowl, you know, places that have been around for a long time that mean a lot to, to folks here. One of the best HBCUs in the country at, at Howard University where my dad taught. You know, so there's a lot of history here that I think you and I and folks who grew up here and I think know about because mm-hmm. it's been sort of ingrained in us as as kids growing up. Um, and I don't know of how many people appreciate it when they move here. Sure. And I think what they just see now is like all these new neighborhoods that right. have these names that we didn't even really exist when we were, we were here. And, right. that, and, it, and it is more of a city that people think of as, you know, a city that doesn't really have an identity or a personality. Which is crazy. And, that, and I think There's, to me, yeah. that is offensive to me. I mean, yeah. the fact that this is a city that has been you know, vibrant for yeah. years as a, you know, a Mecca for particularly African-Americans yeah. for a really long time. Yeah. And like you hear these folks say, well, it's not a real city. Yeah. I mean, that's you fucking crazy. Yeah, you're just not good. Yeah. I mean, I remember like, you know, man, like. I, and that, I think it's a, I, I love, I, I mean, I love, there are many things about DC. I love, you know, the historical, you know, the museums and monuments. You can take your kids to anywhere for free, mm-hmm. but also just the soul of the city mm-hmm. is something that, you know, you don't find it at a yeah. lot of different places. Who's, who do you think saying that though? Like New York people? I just think it's who people knows? who didn't, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I think it's people who just grow, who, who've moved here, who are, you know, who aren't people who grew up in the DMV, who aren't people who grew up in, you know, who weren't Washingtonians. Because I'll tell you, that, fl- that, that soul of the city, you like growing up here was so apparent. I mean, it's just like, it, there's no part of the city that that didn't touch and you weren't aware of it. I mean, you were aware of it everywhere. And, you know, I remember I felt, you know, like I went to the Turkey Bowl a couple years ago, you know what I mean? And I really was like, wow, this feels like DC, you know, like, okay, you know, and, uh, the DCIAA Turkey. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, um, I think it was probably like Natalie's. I don't even think she was coaching anymore, but we went with her. It was it was awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, but you just really but little things like that. The turkey ball on Thanksgiving. That's where else has that? Yeah, exactly. And and, and uh, but but you know, I just remember, you know when we were kids, you know, like driving around. This it was just there was it. it I would I, there's literally no place. I mean, the great thing about my job is I get to go everywhere and I get to spend real time there. The DC I grew up in was the most exciting. You know, craziest, uh, funnest. Uh, I just, I, it was awesome. It was an awesome city to grow up in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've been following the campaign for presidency uh-huh. a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's something that we talk about quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, off mic. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about the uh, the Democrats running right now? You got anyone uh, uh, look, that is higher on your list? Uh, man, you know, higher on my list, uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, you you know, for me, you know, again, I think uh, I I look at this, so much of of this, you know, about politics and, you know, where the country's headed. I I look at it so much from from the perspective of me being a father, you know, and of my kids. 
And, you know, again, um, one of the things I love about my work, one of the uh, is, is I spend so much time on the road and the, the time on the road that I spend is, is, is serious amounts of time working alongside uh, folks of, uh, of all kind of walks of life and all sort of perspectives, political, what you may, all perspectives. And um, to me, uh, you know, I don't think that, I, I, to me, I think that there's nothing more American than people with different points of view, different backgrounds, different ideas, different thoughts, getting together, talking about it and discussing it. And one of the great things about a movie set is that actually happens all the time. And you could have, uh, you know, you could have a teamster who feels one way with a writer, with a makeup uh, person, with a with an electrician, all in the car, and they all come from completely different backgrounds and have completely different ideas. And in the twenty minute van ride to set, you have a political discussion, and everybody's opinion is valued because you're working alongside each other, and everybody respects each other's opinion. And to me, there's nothing more American than that. And to me, the the divisiveness and the polarization is is so scary to me, and so off putting, and so un American, so weak. It just seems so weak to me. And look, man, I box in gyms all over this country, and one of the things that's just sort of a known thing in a boxing gym is the guy who talks the loudest and wears the brightest clothes is usually the last guy you got to worry about. And so. For me, there has been this confusion with masculinity and with um, – I'm going to answer your question in a second. Yeah, yeah no, it, get there. But like, like there. I, th- I think that there has been this confusion with, 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 with masculinity and with um, toughness um, and with patriotism as being sort of bombastic and, and, and loud. And in just your being face. Like, in your face and unbending. Yeah. unbending, being like, it's my way or the highway, and I'm not going to listen to you, and I'm not going to accept you, which to me is actually the definition of weakness and the definition of being un-American. So for me, honestly, man, I really do, when I look at the kind of the kind of man that Trump is and the kind of president he's been and the, you know, the tools that he's used and just like looking at what he's done over the years, I, I just think that we absolutely just need to get him out of office. I just think that like he is the most un-American. I just, you know, I, I, I just think that he fuels all of that. And um, it's not what this country is about. And he's never fought for anything. He's never struggled for anything. He's never worked for anything. Uh, and um, so for me, when you ask me about the Democrats, look, I, you know, I, I, say what you will about me, man. I'm just whoever is going to beat him. You know, whoever's yeah. going to beat him, and and for my kids, putting a little bit of dignity back into that office, and 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 somebody who will come into that office with the values of honesty and integrity, and not name calling, not running to Twitter, being educated, being well read, being uh, a diplomat, being able to uh, have compassion, empathy for other countries. Those are pillars of strength for me. Somebody who's actually potentially served this country or fought for this country would mean a lot to me. Um, but I see so much divisiveness in every single institution that we have. And, um, you know, that makes me really worried about our country, really worried about my, my, my kids' future. And um, I just, I just, I think that guy, I just think he's a chump, you know? <laughs> so I just, whoever's gonna, whoever's gonna, whoever's gonna get him out of there, that's who, who, who I'm, I'm supporting. And I just think the, you know, look, I'm not, 
I agree with a lot of the people who say, look, man, I'm, I'm an actor. I literally get paid to say things that other people say. So I, I don't really get out there that much with my political views. Uh, and um, uh, that, you, you know, that said, I, I think that um, we really, I, I, think, I think folks can really get into a lot of trouble spending the time kind of like poking these minor holes in each other's sort of platforms and uh, these, these differences. I think that there's like a real, there's a, like a, you know, there's a real mission at hand right. and, and that's what the focus should be. So I, 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 I can't tell you, I can't tell you, Sue. So you're still, you're undecided. I'm undecided. Yeah. You're I'm like, undecided. So you are, most polls will tell you, will tell us that right now the, the, the biggest thing that Democrats are looking for, mm-hmm. work, looking for is someone who can beat Trump. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is that a lot of people are undecided mm-hmm. that we're, this race, while it's been going on for 10, 11 months, People are still trying to form their, um, you know, opinions about these candidates, mm. and I think ultimately it is going to come down to for folks who do they believe is going to be the person that who can who can best beat Trump in in November. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, in many ways, I mean, you are you are the voter that right. so many of these candidates are trying to reach. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, but. I do think that there is. I mean, is there anything that in particular is there? Do you do you think there's in California is obviously going to be a, they've got a big primary on Super Tuesday. Is there um, do you is there going to be something? Is there going to be a moment where you're going to be like, ah, well, like this is my person, and then maybe you know maybe you'll you'll look at you know trying to help them out down the road. Um, what what's your sense? I mean, you were I know you were you were. Big Obama guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you like Biden though, and in in '08. Um, what do you think you're going to have an aha moment? Or you, what uh, you, look, what you man. I, you know what? Shit. You don't know what's going to happen until it happens, right? I mean, it's like I. You know, hopefully, yeah. I, I I hope so. Yeah. Um, again, uh, you, you know, I, I would say you're right, Dougie. Like that, I fit right in with that because that 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 I I just told you what what's what's important to me, right? You know, and it seems like that's where a lot of people. Are, are at and and look I, I don't think that I don't it's my wife calling I, I don't think that you know uh, I don't I don't think that we get anywhere by uh, I, 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 I I think the a lot of the folks on on the coast especially are are, are really dead ass wrong to yep. sort of ostracize or look down upon um, folks who uh you know don't agree with them or who who do support the president um i i think you know for me it's going to be the candidate who um comes in with 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 uh openness with 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 toughness um because again i think this idea of like you know cogent debate listening to people who who think differently than you I mean, I mean, look, man. I, I, you, I mean, you know a lot of my values, how I feel uh, about the environment, about how I feel about guns, and, mm-hmm. and that, and I believe in the Second Amendment, and yep. uh, you know, you know a lot of, you know a lot of my views, you know, <laughs> which it, may not necessarily put you and I put you in a, you know, your typical Democrat liberal box, and I think one of the things that we ha- hopefully we can do a better job of as a country, and maybe even as a uh, and maybe Democrats can do is that to realize that like 
just because you don't check this box That's doesn't it. mean you shouldn't that you shouldn't be talked to and approached, right? Right, I or mean, ignored, or ignored. ostracized, right. or, or, or because again, that's just as I, I think that's just as puerile and weak as as saying I'm not, you know, I'm not going to listen to you because of, because of this or because of that. Right. It's like listen, you know, like listen, and uh, you, you you know, I I I, I do think that we. I mean, it sounds all kumbaya, but I think that, you, you, you know, I, th- I think that because it, things are so divided by the, you know, sort of selective media that 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 people kind of like choose and the bubbles that people put themselves in. Um, again, I'm enormously blessed to be the kind of person that uh, to, 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 to have the kind of job and to be the kind of person that I welcome anybody into my home. I'll talk to anybody. I respect everybody's point of view. I'm not trying to change anybody. For me, it's 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 really comes down to that. It really comes down to what are your values, what are your ethics, and to me, um, I love this country. Like I love this country. I am so grateful to be an American. I've been all over the world, and this is the best country on earth. And I think uh, for someone at the for, for someone to so, sort of be a lead, the leader of this country they should exhibit and they should show values and behave in a way that I think is inspiring and should inspire our, our, our children should inspire my kids. Um, you know, honesty, fairness, right. uh, you, you know, family. I, I think these are really important things and it's, it's, it's baffling to me that, um, that's not important to, to, to everyone, but I, I'd like to hear why it's not. Yeah. I, that's what I'd like to know. I'd like to know. I mean, if I, you know, that's sort of the question, like why and it's funny, you know, I, I've, many people in my extended family that, you know, were a lot of them were Trump supporters and, you know, now they've changed their mind. A lot of them, um, you know, are, uh, you, you know, Western Pennsylvania, boilermakers, coal country. And, um, I remember when the election first came, you know, I was, I was talking to, I'm not, I'm not gonna tell you who it was, but I'm, I was talking to one of my family members who I respect immensely. And I was like, dude, what, what you, you like this guy? Like, what's up with that? You know, like what, tell me why. And I was, I was genuinely interested. And I remember him saying, you know, like, look, man, I care about the environment. I got kids, you know, of course I care about the environment, but I got to put food on the table yeah. and this guy's going to stand up for us. Well, like, and now they're like, you know what? He didn't, he lied. And, um, and everything that he's showing my kids is stuff I don't want my kids seeing and I don't want the leader of the free world, you know, exhibit, you know, that's, he's exhibiting behavior that's un-American, you yeah. know, being dishonest all the time. And I just think it's like, look, man, and I, I think when you get into the way that, I mean, there, I mean, there's so much, but you get into the way that, you know, his history with women, his behavior towards women, look, man, it's just should be, in my opinion, it's a non-starter, man. And, yeah. and like where I'm from, the way I grew up, it's like, you know, you 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 do something like that to a woman it's happened so many times so many people have said it it's just we can do better i just think we can really do better and honestly man i don't care if it's a democrat or republican i just don't care uh, you, you know for me i just it's just got got to get some we got to do better right yeah right all right my last question for you so everyone knows you for your acting ability but you're also um a pretty damn good writer um, I read one of your uh, screenplays that you wrote uh, that is, I know, near and dear to you. It's mm-hmm. um, about, it's a sort of a true crime uh, story taking place in Shreveport. Um, writing's a hard thing. Um, and what I think, what was really cool about reading your script is the way you sort of painted the portrait or the picture 
of the scene in a way that through your words. Um, how'd you how'd you how'd you get into write? I mean, was this just through your sort of con, con, your consuming other screenplays, or just talk to me how you became? Because that's a huge that's a it's a skill that a lot of people don't have. I mean, look, and I, and I don't know about. I, honestly, Dougie, I think it's a lot about how I feel about my, my my screen acting is the the exact way I would say about writing. You know, there's a reason why. You know, you see me. You know, when I was doing Punisher, you know, I'm not I'm not going to bars. I'm not going to Chinese restaurants. I'm not out in nightclubs. I'm not watching TV. Uh, you know, I stay in as close proximity to that character's mentality as mm-hmm. I can, and that's not because I want to do some stupid magazine article and show off about how great a method actor I am or that I'm trying to be Daniel Day-Lewis. I could care less about that shit. The reason why I do that is because I'm nervous I'm not good enough to do it another way. And uh, I care immensely about my work. I'm putting my kid's name on my work. Um, That's how I'm putting food on the table. So I want to literally be the best I possibly can be. And that means really mining for truth. And yeah. uh, what's amazing and what I'm so blessed for is in so many different areas, but especially with, with a lot of the roles that I got to play with the military, I've gotten to train with and befriend uh, you know, members of the military, of all branches of the military, but I, I would say especially the guys that I've become enormously close with from the teams, from the special forces community that have opened up to me in a way that has literally changed my life, changed my philosophy, changed the way that I I look at the world, uh, the way I look at the country. Um, And these guys, not only have they, you know, taught me how to, you know, handle a weapon and how how to do close quarter combat and all all the other sort of technical stuff, but much more importantly, they've opened up to me about mindset. Uh, They've shared stories with me. Uh, They've welcomed me into their communities, um, into their families. And that's something I cherish with all my heart. And I take that. And the reason why they are so open with me and I've, I've, I look at somehow I've, I've, I've kind of earned their trust and trust. And it's something that I cherish with all my heart. I truly believe they're the, the best among us. And I will, I, I take that and I will tell their stories to honor them, uh, and scars and all because they wouldn't want it any other way. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the writing, it's kind of came the exact same way. I was, uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana, um, doing ride-alongs with the Jump Out Boys, the Shreveport Narcotic Undercover Task Force, and um, I got, uh, I, 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 you know, I think after a while of going out with these guys, how'd you, you know, how'd you end up down? Was I was that doing the, a movie with uh, Dwayne Johnson, Susan Sarandon. Oh, oh yeah, you yeah, said okay. Snitch. Yep, and uh, you know, I was playing uh, an ex-con, and at that point in my life, I wasn't as sort of forthcoming about my uh, <laughs> my sort of background or any like it. So, you know, like I'm an open book. So uh, the, it was really important for the director for me to kind of get a, get a good understanding of, I guess, street life or whatever you call it. And, right. and uh, I started going out with these guys. And I think after a while, um, you know, you're either, you know, they, a lot of guys call it like, or, you know, a lot of cops call it, um, you're either the kind of guy who gets out of the car or, you, or you're not. And I kind of prove after a while that, uh, you know, like whatever you guys want to do, I'm down for and, and, and I want to see everything and I want to be with you and I'll stand by your side. And if need be, I, I, I got your back. And we became really close, uh, really close. And now it's a 10 year relationship. Um, but while I was down there, he told me this story uh, about this community, the Bottoms. 
uh, in Shreveport, and it just blew me away. And this, the story is really about the eventual kind of destruction and overthrow of this historically African-American community uh, that's, that I think was one of the most interesting stories I ever heard in my life. And um, what was also uh, equally as fascinating is one of the things that I do is whenever I go to a new city, um, you know I'm crazy about boxing, and um, I always find... Uh, whatever boxing gym is in that community. And in a lot of cities, uh, especially smaller cities, there's usually one, maybe two boxing gyms. And often um, they're in very low-income communities. And in Shreveport, was a place called Ray Paxson's Gym in, in Queensboro. And I remember the first time I was driving in there, I got pulled over twice because uh, they said, you know, white people don't come down here. And like, what am I doing? And, you know, all this shit. And um, I started going to that gym every day. And I got to know a lot of guys who were sort of active gang members at the time. And I asked them about the story. And they told me the story from a completely different perspective. And I found that dichotomy just fascinating. Um, and as I was telling you guys before we, you know, turn the mics on, you know, a lot of times in Hollywood, the the goal is to sort of find a story and then sell it off or, you know, give somebody, you know, give it to somebody. And what happened to me is I started going into the prisons. I started spending more and more time in the community. I would kind of go back there as, as much as I could. And I got to really know the, the folks that the story's about. And when I say get to know them, um, you know, these people are enormously important to me. The people on both sides uh, of, of the law, as it would be. I don't know how to explain it these, the other way. And I, I, I see real beauty in, in, in all of them. And um, I can't tell you how important it is to me that they let me into their world. And, and now, you know, I'm a part of that community. I've been down there, you know, I've been down there over 50 times. I've, I, 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 I love being down there. I love being with them. I talk to these guys all the time. And what I found was you know, some very big folks sort of said, hey, we want to make this thing. And people started coming out of the woodwork to do it. Um, but nobody was spending the time down there. And everybody was sort of like in Hollywood, you know, trying to kind of make this thing. Without actually experiencing the community. Or yeah, yeah. And, 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 and looking someone in the eye and being going to church with them, going to funerals with them, you know, have, sharing meals with them. And for me, it, it became just like, Acting, uh, I had I, I understand. There's there's a magic to this community. Uh, there's a poetry to the way people speak down there. There is a way. There's a there's an element of folks that are forgotten down there. Not really, you, you, you know, sort of like the mainstream media. I don't want to say the mainstream media, but like movies. You know, movies and television haven't really sort of portrayed. You know, folks sort of. In, in the situation, in an, in an authentic way, I think I, I think we always want to look at, you know, uh, you know, we always want to, uh, you know, stereotypes. It, it's weird because you, you you know, as much as we say, oh, that's stereotypical. It's like that's become it becomes part of the vocabulary, and it's our way of sort of identifying certain people. But you know, like I was saying before about like everybody in this everybody in this world loves their family. Everybody in this world has fears, has hopes, has desires. Everybody in this world wants the best uh, for their friends and for their family. And everybody plays the cards that they're dealt. And, you know, this story really talks about, um, 
institutionalized racism. It really talks about uh, the, 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 the absolute futil- futility of the war on drugs. And it tells it from, from I think, all perspectives. And I think about how uh, you, you, you know, police officers were sort of put in this situation to fight this impossible kind of war on drugs that all you could do is kind of chip away out of it. And, and, and because, and, and, and they, they, they exhibited extreme bravery and heroicism. Folks on the other side had unbelievable sort of, uh, uh, you know, powers that be kind of coming at them from all angles and, and, and were left to sort of we're left in a defenseless way to, to protect their children, protect the people, their neighborhoods. And, um, the story ultimately becomes very much about class. And, um, look, I think for me, like why I, why, you know, why it ended up being me that, that, that wrote it was that it, the story didn't come from me. It came from, you know, the hundreds of hours. You were basically, that's it. And it's their story. And I've always said it's for them. If I ever make it, you know, they're the ones that are going to profit off of it, not me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's become one of the things in this world, uh, along with my family that I'm most passionate about and I believe in it and uh, I'm, I'm enormously excited about it. John Bernthal. Yes, Douglas. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, man. That was fun. Yeah, it was was fun, fun. dude. Too bad our skins suck, though. Yeah, they do, man. Dan Snyder. But uh, got the W yesterday. Uh, yes, they did. Yeah, Yeah, they did win. Um, But everyone in DC should keep their eye keep their eyes on the Wizards. They're going to be good. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be a good young team. I really like uh, we went Mo Wagner. Really yeah, Mo like Wagner's awesome. Dude, he's, yeah. he, and he plays with like heart. And that dude, you know, there's a few times he was like, I liked how he's like talking shit. And yeah. he's like, you know. Rui I mean? too. I think Rui Yeah, he's be great, star. man. He's and great. Of course, Brad Beal. Brad, Bradley Brad Beal's, Beal's yeah. beast. Sometimes yeah. you like a team that doesn't have any expectations on them. Yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. Hell no, yeah. but also these dudes, you know, like they all, they, all are, they all work really well mm-hmm. together, including that second line that would come in and just – Make the right number of passes, and they would. They found the right guy. Those refs were three. fucking terrible, terrible last night. Terrible, terrible. They called like eight. Travels. They flew him in from Sacramento. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous. It was terrible. crazy. It's crazy. Um, all right, buddy. Yeah, appreciate was... you coming on the electables. Let's go get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, uh... <laughs> I should don't drink. I don't even know why huh? I said. That. I like don't even drink. I don't yeah, know why I said. That. Yeah, yeah. No, whatever. Back smoke, in the day. smoke that. <laughs> That's weed. what we would do back in the day. <laughs> yeah. When we were younger. Go eat some marijuana chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I got to edit that. Yeah, edit that out. <laughs> cut and paste. <laughs> yeah, we got to cut and paste that. All right, buddy. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, Dougie. John Bernthal, star of Ford versus Ferrari. And uh, keep an eye out for him in uh, The Sopranos. We didn't actually talk about yeah. The Sopranos. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be, that's gonna be I, I think, quite a while. But, yeah, Many Saints of Newark is, is its name. Then uh, I got, what else do I have? Uh, Taylor Sheridan's film. Yeah. Um, that's uh, he did uh, Sicario and Hell or High Water, and then Wind River. He wrote and directed. That I, I it's my third time with Taylor. I love him. Uh, uh, Those who wish me dead's the name. And then um, what else do I have? Uh, Small Engine Repairs movie I yep. starred in and and uh, produced. produced right? Yeah, yep. and that's um, great. When does that come out? Well, we, we're going to festivals. It's an indie, yeah. so we will go to festivals. Then we got to get it. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun little journey. Yeah, that, that started out as a play, and then yeah, it was a play that we did in L.A. with my buddy John Polano, uh, like forty seat theater in the middle, yeah. of, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And then it just kind of grew and grew, and then we ended up doing it in New York. And I had to drop. Uh, James Badgedale did it when I got Fury. I had to drop out of the play because I'm a complete money grubbing sellout. And then uh, yeah, no, but then. Uh, then yeah, we John's John's gone on to have a great film career as a writer, and uh, so now he's doing this movie. Yeah. 
My man. All right. Um, so we'll we'll probably post this episode in uh, a week or so. Um, but for my partner in crime, who is not here, Adrian Elrod, and from the best producer in the podcast, damn business, right, Michael Pelquin. <laughs> this has been the Electables. John Bernthal, thank you for joining us. Yeah, dude. We'll all catch you the next time.